Okay, so welcome to this part of the evening. Um, my name is Lynette Hager. And I am married to Michael Hager, and we've been married for 27 years. Um, we have two sons, Ben and Andrew. Our oldest son, Ben, got married to his lovely bride, Caitlin, and their second anniversary is today. I know. And our younger son, Andrew, got married on Saturday. I know, to the lovely Laura Benson, who you may now call the lovely Laura Hager. <laughs> yep, and they are on their honeymoon um, as we speak, and that's super fun. Um, Michael and I have been at Candeo for about six years, and we are thrilled to be a part um, of what's happening here, and we have seen God do great and wondrous things through our family and in our family and through this church, so we're super thankful um, for all of this. Um, I do want to pray before I get started, and that will just calm my heart. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together in this place to open up your word together. May we not only gain a better understanding of your word, but ultimately a better understanding of who you are and how this text points us to Jesus. Grant us fresh eyes and a new perspective. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So if your small groups were like this small group, I'm fairly irrelevant because they nailed it. Um, so um, it was just really fun to be a part of that group. Um, so let's just start with reading the whole thing out loud, and then we'll know where we're starting here. Jonah's prayer from Jonah chapter 2. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. So that is Jonah's prayer, and I want us to just, just spend a moment thinking about your own prayer life, like when you pray, how you pray, why you pray, what you pray most often. For example, one of my most frequent and heartfelt prayers is that my face doesn't show what I'm really thinking. <laughs> or the tried and true, Lord, please keep your arm around my shoulder and your hand over my mouth. If we're honest, though, we don't always pray with pure and holy motives. Even so, we can find so much hope in Jonah's prayer. From his experience of rebellion and discipline, Jonah turns to an experience of repentance and dedication, and God graciously gives him a new beginning and a second chance. 
no doubt. Jonah expected to die in the waters of the sea, but he woke up inside a great fish and realized that God had graciously spared him. The stages of Jonah's heart change are described for us in this prayer. So if you're a note taker, I have four points. Last week, Sarah had three points because she is an extraordinarily gifted teacher and I am just wordy. So my outline is this. Jonah prayed for God's help. Jonah accepted God's discipline. Jonah trusted God's promises. And Jonah yielded to God's will. So let's start at the beginning. Jonah prayed for God's help. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. When Jonah refers to his distress, he means the time that he spent in the water. The simple statement saying, I called to the Lord out of my stress, and he answered me, sums up what happened while he was drowning. The first thing that happened after the sailors threw him overboard was not the appearance of the great fish to swallow him. Before the fish comes the cry of distress. Jonah's prayer was born out of affliction. He was in trouble. He says, in my distress, because he was in danger. Why was he in danger? Because he wasn't obeying God. Jonah wasn't on his way to Nineveh to carry out God's instructions when he went overboard. He was running away from God, and therefore he was guilty of disobedience. That's why he was in the water. But here's what we can take from this verse. Even though Jonah knew he was guilty, even though he knew he deserved death, in the moment that death was imminent, he still cried out to God. Jonah was seeking God because he recognized that was the only way out of his dilemma. Now, we can be judgmental of that, like, oh, yeah, Jonah, now you're calling out to God. But don't we all, at times, turn to God in an emergency instead of turning to him first? If I'm first seeking to be in the center of God's will for my life, I wouldn't have to pray about what my face is doing. Okay, I'm going to let that go now. So what strikes me here, though, is that even when we know we're guilty, even when we know we have disobeyed and we're choosing sin over faithful obedience, there's still hope. So take heart from Jonah here. Yes, his distress was the fruit of his guilt, but God answered him and gave him another chance and God helps us in spite of our guilt. So in verse three, we see that Jonah accepts God's discipline when he says, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah prayed for deliverance to the very God who threw him into the water. Jonah acknowledges that it was all God, the storm, the waves, the depth of the sea, all of it, and the God who threw him in heard his prayer and performed a miracle to save him. If you have ever felt like the hand of God is against you, don't hesitate to call on him anyway. Know that despite God's judgment of us, he will still answer. Even when God is displeased with us, he never brings us into affliction just for the sake of punishment. His purposes always include redemption. Job 36:15 says, God delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. 
It's through Job's suffering that Job will be delivered, not through any other means. Through suffering, God opens our ears to the instructor. So then in verses four through six, he says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, my Lord, brought my life up from the pit. You see, God allowed Jonah's circumstances to become impossible before he delivered him. It would be terrifying enough to fall overboard from a ship into a sea that was calm. How much worse to be thrown into a raging storm with 20 to 30 foot waves and feel yourself sucked down so deep that you know you're done for. And as if that weren't enough, as you're struggling toward the top to try and get some air, you hit a massive seaweed and it tangles all around your head. So surely at this point, we would feel there was no hope. But God my two favorite words in all of scripture, but God. He answers prayer in impossible circumstances. Verse seven says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah trusted God's promises. I remembered the Lord doesn't mean that I had forgotten him. I remembered the Lord means I acted on the basis of what I know to be true about him. Jonah's previous experiences with God reminded him of God's covenant promises. Jonah was a prophet. He was chosen by God to be a messenger. So he had to have had real knowledge of God's mercy and his loving kindness, his love for his people, including Jonah himself. God had shown favor to Jonah, and Jonah is recalling God's past mercies and that he is gracious. And by his prayer now at this point, he draws near to the God who he had run from, and he engages his heart to look at him again. Against all hope, Jonah believed that he would look heavenward again, that he would go up to the holy temple again. He was no stranger to the temple, so remembering the temple and thinking of the temple would have been comforting to him. Our afflictions should put us in mind of God when our soul is faint. We have to remember God and send our prayers to him. When we think on his name, we should call on his name. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book called Man Overboard, says, few principles are more important in the Christian life than the practical recognition of the sovereign God and his gracious determination to draw us near to himself, whatever the cost may be. When his purposes involve affliction and suffering, the knowledge that he is sovereignly ruling our lives is the only thing that brings us a measure of joyful and willing acceptance of the situation. Our remembrance needs to be that God is sovereign and he has good purposes for our suffering. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, in case you don't know who she is, she is a paraplegic due to a diving accident that she had when she was a teenager. She writes in her book called A Step Further, I really don't mind the inconvenience of being paralyzed if my faithfulness to God while in this wheelchair will bring glory to him. When God brings suffering into your life as a Christian, whether it be mild or drastic, he is forcing you to decide on issues you've been avoiding. He is pressuring you to ask yourself some questions. Am I going to continue trying to live in two worlds, 
obeying Christ and my own sinful desires? Or am I going to refuse to worry? Am I going to be grateful in trials? Am I going to abandon my sins? In short, am I going to be like Christ? He provides the suffering, but the choice is yours. Today, as I look back, I am convinced that the whole ordeal of my paralysis was inspired by his love. I wasn't a rat in a maze. I wasn't the brunt of some cruel divine joke. God had reasons behind my suffering, and learning some of them has made all the difference in the world. So why such extremes? A storm and almost drowning, and sinking into the depths of the sea, and being caught in seaweed, and probably losing consciousness multiple times. Perhaps Jonah needed to feel the grace of God toward himself before he could minister to others. Jonah was just as helpless and hopeless as the people of Nineveh. He truly felt the absence of God, and he finally saw the condition of his own heart, which would then equip him for the task of bringing God's grace to the Ninevites. In verses 5 and 6, at the heart of his trials, when there seemed to be no end in sight, Jonah begins to see hope. But sometimes, God answers our cries for help in stages. We can be fairly sure that when Jonah was drowning and cried out to God, he did not say, oh God, put me in the belly of a fish for three days. The belly of a fish hardly seems like a means of rescue, but Jonah realized that he'd been spared from drowning and that there was still hope for him. John Piper says, don't regard partial works of God. If he chooses to save and heal by stages, he has his good purposes in mind, even though our circumstances might still be difficult. We ought to be grateful for any improvement in our condition. A fish's belly is better than weeds at the bottom of the sea. I, too, can easily fall into an all-or-nothing type of prayer, especially when I'm afraid. A number of years ago, one of our sons went through a very difficult trial in his life. And as his parents, we desperately wanted to make it all go away right now, all of it. We want our son restored, we want our life to go on, and we want to go back to the way it was, preferably today. But we were quickly at the end of our ability to do anything else to help him. And it became painfully evident to us and to him that this was not going away overnight. So we had to sit back and watch the circumstances unfold, and I will tell you, it got worse before it got better. But gradually, in stages, over a period of months, we began to clearly see God's hand of protection and redemption. We saw several young godly men who God had specifically appointed to enter into his life, and they walked with him in ways that we couldn't. And they spoke truth into him, and they prayed over him. And by God's grace and by his mercy, our son was eventually brought out of the pit and all glory goes to God for that. So now we come to verses eight and nine and Jonah declares that salvation is from the Lord. Notice that he says this before he was spit out on dry land. Jonah recognized that God's sovereign hand in what is what happened. 
Jonah recognized God's sovereign hand in what happened to him. And we see that God's answers to Jonah's prayers produced the proper effect in him. Sin cast him down, but God brought him up. Sin cast him out, and God brought him in. God's grace produced a new sense of compassion. He learned the ultimate truth about God, that God is a saving God. When Jonah learned that, he was ready to go to Nineveh. He was also filled with wonder that anyone would forsake the Lord and keep vain idols. Jonah admits here that there were idols in his life. He says those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Well, Jonah had been so concerned for the safety and prosperity of his own nation that he refused to be God's messenger to their enemies. His nation was his idol. Warren Wiersbe says an idol is anything that takes away from God the affection and obedience that rightfully belong only to him. Each one of us can and should identify those things in our lives that compete for our affection and our obedience. When Jonah admitted this and confessed it, he was filled with thanksgiving for the mercy that he was shown, which in turn made him more merciful toward the Ninevites. Our trials should make us more like God. We should marvel at the lengths that God is willing to go to in order to bring us to him. So Jonah yielded to God's will as he closes his prayer with some solid vows to the Lord. He says, but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I think we can assume here that with this vow, Jonah was ready to go to Nineveh and declare the Lord's message because he was graciously and miraculously given a second chance. At that point, God delivers him to dry land. Jonah's deliverance shows us again God's power over all creation and salvation is of the Lord because he is the only one who can save. If this prayer of Jonah's kind of rings a bell with you, it might be because it echoes numerous passages in Psalms. Jonah quotes some of them directly because he was a prophet, and as a devout Israelite, he would have been well-versed in Scripture. But I was especially drawn to Psalm 51, verses 10 to 17, where it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God loves a broken and contrite heart. By any measure, the story of Jonah is an extraordinary account of God's mercy and his love toward all people. Jesus himself called Jonah's story a sign. He knew this was no ordinary event. It was a miraculous sign of God's gracious and powerful intervention. In Matthew 12, verses 13 to 41, Jesus proceeds to give the Pharisees a history lesson. He says, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, 
a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The significance of this account of Jonah is that centuries after the event, he was assigned to the Jewish people that pointed them to Jesus. To ask for a sign was evidence of their unbelief, and the Pharisees wanted Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah. So even though Jesus used Jonah's story as an illustration, we obviously should desire to be more like Jesus than we are like Jonah. In our study guide, we were asked how we need to be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. Well, clearly, Jesus is greater than Jonah in many ways. Jesus was greater in his obedience, since Jonah disobeyed God and was punished for it. Certainly, Jesus was greater in his love, because Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to die. And even though Jonah's message saved Nineveh from judgment, his message was one of the wrath of God, whereas Jesus' message is the message of grace and salvation, and it assures us that God is steadfast that he will endlessly pursue his people. If God refused to intervene in our choices, then the entire life of believers would be about us, our believing, our serving, our following, our choices to live a good life. In the case of Jonah, God was claiming someone who was quite incapable of performing any redeeming work to compensate for his sin. God wasn't relying on Jonah to save Jonah, and the same is true for us. If you have trusted God for your salvation, he's done more than make salvation possible. He has actually saved you. God has come after you, and he's laid hold of you. Even his correction and rebuke are given in love because he wants our hearts to change, and for that change to be in accordance with his work in our life. The lesson here is that God is merciful. Therefore, you be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Yet as we will see in the following two chapters, Jonah still has some work to do, as do we. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed at the many ways you draw us to yourself. I ask that you enable our hearts to be thankful despite our trials or our sufferings. May we find hope in the darkness and find joy in your relentless pursuit of us. We ask all these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.